January 5th, Sikaris and Price, normally in our studio, built by Arbor Lee, the Wall Center downtown, and don't forget about the Western Wall Center at YBR, the fabulous dining at the apron, go check it out, and uh, hey, have a great dinner on your way home from the airport, perhaps, or send somebody off uh, in style. Jeff Patterson in for one more day here, in for the vacation, Matt Sikaris, who's back on Monday, and we are a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group and Applewood Kia in Surrey has the brand new 2024 Kia Sportage with financing from 5.99%, the fabulous warranty that you know so well from Kia. Uh, watched a movie, uh, Office Christmas Party, over the uh, holidays, Jeff. Uh, they had a line in there, it's a Kia. It's what God would drive. <laughs> It's all good at Applewood. We don't know that for sure. They can't use that as their official slogan, um, but it's a, a heck of a vehicle. Go check it out. Uh, Jeff, the Canucks licking wounds after a 2-1 defeat to the St. Louis Blues and a defeat that just didn't feel like it needed to happen, Jeff. Look, they didn't play terribly. I mean, they come off a goal short. I, you know, the game against Philadelphia right out of Christmas, they were sluggish, uh, never really found their feet. They opened the scoring two minutes into the hockey game, the line. Uh, that's all they do. This time it was Connor <laughs> Garland on the finishing end, and that hasn't happened uh, enough, uh, but he certainly has played hard and played well. Uh, but he pulls the trigger from distance, too. We haven't seen that from Connor Garland this season, but uh, who knew then that that was going to be it? The, the taps were shut off, and, and that was it for the offense. Canucks lamenting the fact that they Missed some opportunities in the third period. Missed the net a couple of times. Brock Besser had a, a great chance. Nils Hoaglander at the side of the goal as well after a, a little bit of a scramble there. But it really, the storyline, obviously, was Andre Kuzmenko doesn't play. And what was the trickle down there? It was that Elias Pettersson was asked to do a lot of heavy lifting with Sam Lafferty on one side and a nice cold Ilya Mikheyev on the other. And we're not really talking a lot about Mikheyev, but six without a goal, just one in his last 10. And... You know, again, you're not expecting him to be a 40-goal scorer, but he has gone into hiding a little bit here. And so that's a lot to ask of Elias Pettersson. Yeah, I know that uh, he wants the $12 million contract. Didn't necessarily play like a $12 million guy, but uh, I, I'm not sure what people uh, thought that he was going to be able to do uh, against the, the St. Louis Blues. So, uh, yeah, some questionable lineup decisions, and it's easy. Look, we can all be armchair quarterbacks when they lose. When they win, Rick Tockett uh, looks like a genius and he's pulling the right strings and pushing the right buttons. When they lose, though, and they only score one goal, it certainly opens the door to criticism for him and also just a bigger picture of questions about you know, deployment and should Linus Carlson, a call-up from the AHL, be plugged in ahead of a guy like Andre Kuzmenko? I'd say no. Uh, I, I think Tockett got that one wrong. He hasn't got many wrong this season, but I, I, I just I, that one didn't sit well with me. And ultimately, the Canucks uh, could have used some offense. And hey, maybe Kuzmenko would have been the guy. Early this season, it was a question of Kuzmenko versus Hoaglander often, um, and and that that was a little bit different because I think both guys have the offensive potential to to get you a goal and, and make a difference. Uh, in this case, boy, uh, it doesn't seem like that. Our poll question today up on YouTube and Twitter: Would Andre Kuzmenko have made a difference? in the loss versus the Blues last night. Just a simple yes or no answer. No way of knowing for sure. We don't have the crystal ball into the alternate universe where that happens, but you've just got to play the odds. And, you know, the Canucks haven't struggled to score goals during the Andre Kuzmenko uh, absences so far this season. They've uh, averaged close to four goals per game, I believe, in, in those circumstances, whether it be from his facial injury or from these healthy scratches. Um, so they haven't had to have this sort of 
regret in the past. But in this case, where again, it's a coin flip of Carlson versus Kuzmenko. Boy, that seems like a pretty stark difference. And it takes one play to make a difference. And again, Kuzmenko is not a finished product here, Jeff, in that, you know, if he's not going well early, if you play him in last night's game and he's not going well, coach him through that mid game. Like the coaching doesn't have to be just at practice and at the intermissions, like words in his ear during the game. And I'm not saying he's not doing that, but like, it's not like you're not without agency as the head coach. Um, if you don't like what you're seeing out of the guy in the first period, like get in his ear, remind him what you've talked about. And there's, you know, this chat about this, uh, pre-Christmas meeting between the two sides that seem to clear the air and get things headed in the right direction. Well, you can refer back to that, you know, on the bench and say, remember what we talked about with, with, when you're in this situation, do X. Um, I just think you're in a far better position having to do that than having to, get in the ear of Linus Carlson and say, can you get me a game tying goal here late? Like that's just not going to happen. Right? No. And the flip side there is that, and look, I'm not throwing darts at Linus Carlson. He's worked hard. He's earned three call-ups now he's in the lineup, but played just over nine minutes, a complete non-factor and is out there on the ice for what turns out to be the game winner. So if the knock on Kuzmenko is, Oh, this guy doesn't defend. I can't trust him in games. Well, it was Carlson. It was Hoaglander and Nils Amon. And they were part of a carnival in their own end that allowed Robert Thomas of all people. Now, Give the Blues credit. They jump the Canucks' fourth line. They get their best players out there. That's home ice advantage. And Robert Thomas pulls the trigger, and they win the hockey game. So you know, Andre Kuzmenko can defend that well or that poorly. Uh, you know, if that line had done all the things that talk it talks about with the staples and spent all their shifts in the offensive end and won all the board battles, and you know, Linus Carlson was a, a menace out there. Linus Carlson is a 13th forward. That's what he is. That's what most guys, they get called up from the farm uh, unless they're absolutely lighting up the American Hockey League, which he isn't. And so, again, I don't necessarily have an issue with Linus Carlson in the lineup, but I do have a, an issue with Linus Carlson being a decision over Andre Kuzmenko. So, you know, where does it go from here? They go into New Jersey. Devils play a wide-open game with a ton of offense. Does that fit Andre Kuzmenko's style? Maybe. But it also means that, you know, you're trading chances. You're going to have to defend. Uh, we have seen history here is that when Kuzmenko sits once, he generally sits twice. But, Blake, they scored one goal in St. Louis. I Wouldn't you want the potential of that 39-goal scorer? And I know he's a different player this year. But still, when the puck is on his stick, and we've seen it recently, whether it was the San Jose game, the games at home against Florida and Tampa, like he can still be a dangerous player when the puck is on his stick in a shooting position. Uh, I have to think that he gets back into the lineup against the Devils. And, and has he had bad shifts that have led to chances and, and maybe goals against as well? Maybe, but I I, I, I do go back to uh, a lament I often have when players like Kuzmenko get benched is you might not like the mistakes they make. You might think that they lead to chances. But how often do they actually lead to goals against? Like, I, I don't see a whole lot of pizzas served up necessarily by Andre Kuzmenko. I think teams get by him too easily because of the lack of forecheck for sure. But it's not like he makes super loud errors like a Tyler Myers or something like that. You know, like where they, you just remember that. Like, I don't have a whole lot of remember that's in my mind on Andre Kuzmenko. And if all you're trying to preach to this guy is a better forecheck to slow teams up in their in their breakout – I, to me, that's still something that seems achievable in game um, over the course of several games rather than one game in or three games in and then one more out. I, I, I just think that you're 
you're cutting off your nose to spite your face just a little bit. And you talked about, you know, some of his recent production and, and that's it. Like there are guys on far bigger droughts than Andre Kuzmenko who right now is sitting on four goals in his last seven games. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little aghast that he gets the tough love all the time. And I'm not saying he's a perfect player, eminently flawed and lots to work on, but this is not a perfect team. And, and with 12 perfect forwards every night. And I just don't know that the playing field necessarily seems uh, uh level, especially when you see the work rate of the team last night. Now I, I didn't love the work rate because you know, you take out Andre Kuzmenko because he doesn't forecheck. I didn't see a great forecheck from a lot of players last night. And let's hear it now. We'll play them back to back. And I'm just reading between lines here. And it's just a couple of pretty generic clips here from Rick talking his assessment of, of what went wrong in the game. But this wasn't an elevated emotion from uh, from Rick talking. Let's take a listen. Well, a little, obviously the goal coverage blown, but I thought we missed a, a glorious chance in the third. We had about four or five uh, missed nets. Like we missed the net there. Got to hit the net on those shots. They were good through the neutral zone. I thought they uh, hit the weak side a lot. Um, but uh, for the most part, you know, like I said, we had our lucks. So we just need some guys to bear down on the shots. So, again, like not a whole lot there. But my takeaway is he thought that they played okay yep. and just didn't get the, you know, that maybe that final great uh, bit of velocity on their shot or pick the right corner. Like it's just finishing it. He thought, I, I thought it was a lot more than finishing that was missing from last night's game. Well, look, Brock Baxter's got 24 goals. He hasn't scored since Christmas. So now for him, that's kind of cold. Uh, he did go five games earlier this year without scoring. And then he came out of that with back-to-back games of two goals. And that's Brock Besser. He can do that. So, uh, you know, we'll see. He's bound to score again, but he's gone four without. Uh, he had that chance about three minutes into the third period. Like he scores on that most times, but he mm-hmm. did. And, you know, in a one goal game, that turns out to be a difference. Hoaglander had a chance. Uh, according to natural stat trick, the high dangers were eight, nothing for the Canucks in the third period. Now, the Blues scored the only goal, and it was a hell of a snipe by Robert Thomas. Apparently, that didn't qualify uh, as a high danger, maybe just a little too far from the net. It was still a, an incredible shot. Whatever what the shot. case, the Canucks yeah. had some opportunities. You know, they got all the bounces the other night against Ottawa. They got none. But you can't rely on the bounces and just wait for bounces. you got to make things happen. And so, yeah, I mean, you hear Tockett there uh, lamenting missed opportunities, didn't like the winning goal. Obviously, there were some defensive breakdowns. And also... Uh, you know, he thought that the Blues used the wide side uh, of the ice well. And I do think that the Blues attacked off the rush. I mean, both of their goals uh, really come off the rush to some degree, some broken plays defensively for the Canucks. The, the winning goal, a little, you know, it's off the rush. They gain the zone and then uh, move it around a little bit in zone, but still an easy zone entry there. So, yeah, I mean, there were things to clean up. Thatcher Demko was really good. They kind of wasted a, a really solid effort from Thatcher Demko. You know, through all of it, though, it is just their second outright loss in a dozen games. And so it's bound to happen. You're not going to win every game you play. It's just that start a road trip. You want to set the tone. You you kind of want to keep the ball rolling. And, hey, that first period against Ottawa was fun. But guess what? Five in the first period against Ottawa, they have two goals in five periods since then. And we've seen this with this group. When the going's good, the goals go in. When the slugging is tough, though, as it was in Minnesota before Christmas, against Philadelphia after Christmas, and to some degree last night, I mean, the Blues played well, give them credit. Uh, But this is a team that still has a lot of learning to do, in my opinion, about playing in and ultimately winning these tight games where you got to fight through uh, traffic and fight for your space out there on the ice. And 
you know, that's where I go back to Pedersen, Mikheyev, and Lafferty. Yeah. Those three, one shot on goal from the three of them, and it was Elias Pedersen. So the wingers didn't put pucks on the net, did nothing to help Elias Pedersen and ultimately help the hockey club. I like the, look, Sam Lafferty's been a nice acquisition at the price point. There's a role on this team for Sam Lafferty. It's not on the wing with Elias Pedersen. And hopefully uh, we have seen the last of that experiment. Give Petey uh, a fighting chance in this to play with some guys that uh, can, you know, think the game the way that he does and ultimately uh, have a little bit of finish. And to me, that's in the short term, it's Andre Kuzmenko. In the long term, it, it, not in the long term, sorry. In the short, short term, it's Andre Kuzmenko. And then I think this the singular short term, I think they've got to start to look at making a trade for a winger here. Like, I, I think to make sure that there is no slip here, to make sure that on a night where the middle line's not going, that the Pedersen line can go and vice versa, I, I think Elias Pedersen needs a surefire winger that's in form and I don't, I think every week that they waste in not making that trade, they're they're costing themselves some points now. Uh, I really do because last night I think they get points if there's a player X uh, in that spot instead of uh, instead of Lafferty. Uh, you know, and you know who that is. Um, well, it's, it's that's up to them to go shopping. And you know, obviously Gensel's been getting a lot of helium just because people are connecting the dots with Pittsburgh and and his UFA status. But a, a trade like that doesn't have to be him. Um, I think I'm think I'm ready to see that if I'm the Vancouver Canucks because uh, a, a to keep Elias Pettersson happy in these contract negotiations and and b of course just to get the points because you don't want to to uh, to give away all that you've built here in the uh, first half of the season. Well, and it's funny too, and we had uh, Frank on earlier in the week, and we talked about Jim Rutherford and his history, and Alvin's adopted his strategy of you know being busy, and they've been able to make some trades. But it does take two sides to trade. And so as much as the Canucks might want to be aggressive and get ahead of the curve here and not pay trade deadline prices, there are a bunch of teams that are still trying to figure out who are they, uh, what are they, where are they in the standings, and are they ultimately going to be sellers? And so uh, I do wonder if the Canucks get a little impatient if they're trying to make this trade that you're talking about. And there are teams that are, "Ah, we're just not, you know, give us two weeks. We, you know, we still think that maybe there's something that can go down there. So uh, that's the difficulty of, uh, you know, this time of year, you can't make trades in a vacuum. It does require uh, a motivated seller on the other side. So we'll see where it goes, you know, in the short term though, in a night like last night where Kuzmenko is not an option because he's not in the lineup and the game's not going the way you want. Like why wouldn't you put Nils Hoaglander up, higher in the lineup for a sure. few shifts with Pedersen. And again, Sam Lafferty scored nine goals. Like I, I don't want to reduce Sam Lafferty to nothing, but ideally he's not a top six forward. On this team where Nils Hoaglander has shown the ability to play higher in the lineup, and on a night when uh, Petey wasn't going and that line wasn't going, I was just a little surprised that Rick Tockett stuck with it uh, really right through to the end. And then, you know, we saw things like Connor Garland on power play one, a place that he hasn't been all season long. Well, the power play didn't generate a shot. It only had one opportunity, but it didn't generate a single shot. So uh, power play wasn't clicking the way that it has on a lot of nights. And then you get the goaltender out for an extra attacker. Nikita Zadorov was a net front presence. Uh, Big body, can screen goaltenders, but you got to get pucks to the net as well. And they didn't do that. But uh, still, you would have thought that Andre Kuzmenko would be part of your uh, six forwards or six attackers set if he was in the lineup. So it forced Rick Tockett to change and to go down some roads that he hasn't gone all season long. It just felt like there was a lot of uh, fishing from the Canucks last night uh, with their lineup and and trying to you know find things that ultimately weren't there for them. And 
eh, they lost. And I, you know, I do think they were the second best team on the ice, not by a, a long shot, but give the Blues credit. I, I thought overall uh, they were able to do the things that they needed to do to to get the victory. And fans that are scouring the NHL trying to find suitable uh, alternatives, don't get too excited when you see the Pittsburgh Penguins in second last place in the division. They are there right now. Um, they are four points away from second place too, though. <laughs> that, yeah, that they go and score. You know, and they score six in Boston. They hang, you know, beat the Bruins. That was a wild game. I watched parts of that in and around the Canucks. But uh, you know, it just it does seem great. Like for all this uh, Jake Gensel talk, the idea of the Penguins throwing in the towel in a year where Sid. Crosby is named to the all-star team is having an incredible year. You went all in with Carlson. Like what's the message? There aren't many years left for that group. And it just, I'd be surprised that the Penguins could look Sidney Crosby in the face and say, eh, we'll get him next year. So I am a little surprised, but also I guess, you know, business is business and you do have to have a a bit of a long-term view there. And if Jake Gensel's going to ask for six or 8 million bucks and he's 30, you know, that's a decision ultimately that the Penguins have to decide. Okay, I'll, I'll throw one name. I, I, we don't usually play would you here <laughs> or, you know, one name at you. And this is a very modest acquisition. This is not necessarily the answer, but it's a, it's a, there is a, an upside here. So hear me out. Kuzmenko for Victor Olofsson of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, who is having a down year. He scored 28 last year, 20 the year before. He's on four goals this season in 31 games. So you're thinking, ooh, God, this sounds terrible. Here's the plus side. If he continues to perform like he's performing, which is to say not too dissimilar to Kuzmenko, he's done. He's a UFA at the end of this year. If you don't like it, you walk away from it, as opposed to Kuzmenko with the additional year as well. So you you do lose a year in this trade, even though you may have given up the slightly better team. But again, fresh, fresh climbs. Maybe Olofsson gets a bump and and nobody's playing well on the Sabres. So maybe just a case of the atmosphere for Victor Olofsson. That's a modest trade that you would think would intrigue the Sabres to some degree as well. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily move the the needle for me, but I understand sort of the mechanics uh, behind it. Uh, the name that I've seen a little bit uh, of late and he came through here and he scored the other night was Tarasenko out of Ottawa. And you kind of get the feeling with a new management group and that mix just isn't right, clearly. I mean, they got smoked in Seattle after they got smoked here in Vancouver. Uh, but I asked myself, like, if Kuzmenko you know, doesn't have the demonstrable habits that Rick Tockett's looking for, right. is Vladimir Tarasenko at this, mm-hmm. like what's his motivation? I know he's got a, a track record of scoring goals and was there with the blues and their run, but I just, I, I, I worry a little bit that, okay, you move off Kuzmenko. Great. But if you're taking a distressed asset, are you just the, is it the same song and dance just with a, a new player? Uh, so I guess it's kind of the devil, you know, against uh, versus the devil you don't, but I, I just find that this doesn't seem tenable that, all these healthy scratches and it just keeps happening. So clearly Tockett's not seeing what he wants from Kuzmenko. You know, how much longer can that carry over? And ultimately on nights like last night, what is the trickle down effect for the mood and the vibe with the rest of the players who see this guy that could be in the lineup and scoring goals for them and isn't. And then they come up on the short end uh, of a two, one score. Now they haven't lost much this year. uh, Just their 11th outright loss. Uh, you know, and they've been really good about bouncing back. And so they go into Jersey and I'll give them every opportunity here. But uh, yeah, it just a disappointment because again, that game was there uh, to at least get it to overtime, take your chances. We've talked about managing losses and they couldn't muster a second goal. But I do think for me, the red flag, I mean, the Kuzmenko 
storyline's not going away. The bigger red flag, though, is the way the Canucks have played in these tough to grind out games. And there's going to be a lot more of those down the stretch. And ultimately, that's what happens in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I do think it's fair to ask is this team going to be able to figure out ways to prevail uh, in these tough games where you've got to break down your opponent? And uh, back to Tarasenko, eight goals in 32 games. Guess who else has eight goals in 32 games? Andre <laughs> Kuzmenko. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what they see as a solution there on Elias Pettersson's uh, line. Um, we'll get to the World Junior wrap-up on Monday on the show and a final look at the three uh, Canuck Swede prospects. We'll do that on Monday. We should mention uh, from the somewhat junior ranks or prospecty ranks, um, on TSN plus and ESPN plus south of the border, the Boston University Terriers taking on what is this school? Simon Fraser University. Uh, you know, it's not an NCAA program yet, yet I'll say. But as if you uh, lined up these back to back games against BC and BU, and uh, you get to watch it if you are a subscriber to TSN plus, uh, it's, it's kind of fun. I don't think I expected to see that one amongst the televised games, but. But if you are a subscriber, that might be something cool to, to just take a look and, and see uh, one of the local teams up against a powerhouse, the number two ranked Boston University Terriers. Yeah, it would uh, have been a little more fun if uh, Tom Lander and uh, Macklin Celebrini were playing. But of course, uh, over the World Juniors, Aiden Celebrini, uh, I suppose, will be in yeah. the lineup for, for BU. And I just think anybody in the States that tunes in and sees F SFU, San Francisco University's got a hockey program? Uh, come on. But, uh, Good on them. Yeah, Boy, exactly. the San Jose Sharks have really left a mark there in the... Uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, if you've got feedback throughout the course of the show, anytime really, send it to the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680. Great Clips is the official hair salon of the National Hockey League. Greatclips.com to find the salon nearest you. All right, time to uh, give you the rundown of the show here. In the menu, brought to you by Greta. It's our home. It's Canucks Army's home. It's Rick by Vancouver's home for food, drinks, and watching the game pre and post game. Head to Greta, especially for these road games. You need a place, you need a venue. So uh, head to Greta to watch the entirety of this seven game road trip. Uh, coming up in just a, a, a few moments, we've got hashtags the best and worst of Twitter. And we run the gamut from uh, the World Cup of Hockey to. Uh, the name game in the National Basketball Association and beyond. Frank Corrado stops by for his weekly hit. He's fresh out of the booth. He's calling games now yeah. for the Montreal Canadiens on TSN. So congrats to Frank on that. And we'll hear his take on what he saw to the Canucks and what are the possible solutions. He gets into the Kuzmenko stuff uh, as well. It's a Friday, so that means we hear from the people, Jeff. To the people we go uh, we've got lots to chew on uh, because as good as this team has played, Jeff, you mentioned, I mean, there's still a lot of things to talk about Kuzmenko in particular, and there's just a, enough gone wrong. There's been enough um, incidents, uh, you know, bad loss to Philly, you know, this power outage of goals here and there. Um, people have got stuff to say, so we'll get into all that, plus our errors and omissions and beyond uh, before we're done here as well. Uh, enjoy, folks. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business 
and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Garrison Price, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group Temper hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Get things started, Jeff, at Kevin Weeks regarding upcoming World Cups. The highly anticipated four-team World Cup in 2025 played in North America will be a prelude to an expansive World Cup 2028 with more teams. Games played in Europe, USA, and Canada. Fan, player, corporate, multimedia interest are fire emoji. Um... Not a ton new here, um, other than just that confirmation of a of a forty. He calls it highly anticipated. Yeah, that's, beg- that's what jumped out at me exactly right off the top. <laughs> I would beg to differ on that on that description of it. Um, games played all over is interesting as well, but you do have to wait till twenty twenty eight when, God willing, maybe the Russian invasion of Ukraine is over and maybe they can participate as well. Um, but I mean. The idea is highly anticipated. I don't know that right now as the plans are unveiled slowly bit by bit here, Jeff, I don't know that it's actually highly anticipated until we know exactly what's happening. I suppose it falls under the something is better than nothing category, and it may very well be the last chance and the only chance that we ever get to see Sidney Crosby uh, put on a Canadian jersey with Connor McDavid, perhaps with Connor Bedard. Uh, you know, like, so you take what you can get because uh, we've been starved for best on best. But yeah, I mean, the, the idea of four teams, uh, I'm not sure that highly anticipated uh, in the overarching uh, theme there. But uh, again, if you can get Canada against the U.S., uh, best on best, uh, certainly you look at uh, Elias Pettersson. I think Canuck fans would like to see him represent Sweden in something like this. So there are certainly some things to chew on. But yes, I mean, we were both raised on this idea of true global competition. But uh, yeah, there are factors at play here that uh, uh, keep us from that right now. Still in the Olympics in 2026, too, potentially, right? So we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition as well. Uh, Jeff, uh, fire away. Yeah, just to uh, circle back on one from the other day, USA Hockey, uh, at USA Hockey, the 2026 IIHF World Junior Hockey Championship is heading to the Twin Cities. So it was down in Minnesota and Seattle. I, I do hope that this doesn't discourage the folks down in the Emerald City. We've talked about the rise of uh, the hockey market there, both at the junior level and now in the National Hockey League. And I do wonder if USA Hockey pushes to you know, move the cycle faster to get another world junior back in the U.S., recognizing that they've got uh, this opportunity to strike in the Pacific Northwest and bring a world junior this way, but uh, not a surprise that Minnesota, uh, such a hockey state and has produced so many good players over the years, uh, not surprised that many wins this bid for the World Juniors in 2026. Well, and, and by the time that World Junior cycle rolls around back to the United States in a handful of years, too, um, you wonder, you know, what does the hockey scene look like in Seattle? Um, and I don't mean that skeptically necessarily. It, it, could, be in, it could be in great shape, but it, you just... You just don't know. Um, and it's going to be uh, a handful of years. So it's 2026 was the last time, um, or is the next time. The states usually get it about every six years or so, right. um, five or six years. So it could be 2031 or something like that. And 
we'll see how much of a success the Kraken and, and Sonic's, you know, Sonic's 2.0 will be back and they'll have uh, the city yeah. buzzing. So, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there's a lot going on in Seattle. We know that. Uh, and that's why I do think 2026, they they could have put this on their plate. But, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. But I, I do hope that it doesn't discourage Seattle losing out on this bid, that uh, they will double back and, and take another run at it. Uh, at K Mills underscore zero zero, it's Kamal Miller, Canadian men's national teamer. Couldn't be more happy to join an amazing club like Timbers FC. So much history here, and I can't wait to create more. He was transferred to the Portland Timbers yesterday. Jeff uh, Miller goes from playing with Lionel Messi in Miami to the rainy confines of uh, <laughs> Portland. Uh, it's going to be a change. I mean, it, 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 he's right. I mean, it's, it's a good franchise. That part is right. But he was playing with some of the world best. They had just acquired Suarez. Like, that would have been probably pretty fun for the Canadian to continue on with that uh, group of old-timers. Uh, but he's going to be on to bigger, uh, potentially, uh, and he hopes better things. But we'll see a lot more of him here in Vancouver. So the uh, Canadian men's national team quotient in the Pacific Northwest just went went up a notch. Right. So you're saying that South Beach and Cannon Beach aren't exactly on the, the same level there? Not quite the same experience. Okay. Both have their own beauty and, <laughs> you know, majesty. But, yeah, not, not quite the same experience. Uh, I've got a double-barreled one. Uh, did you see this? Uh, the Toronto Sun, Austin Matthews, saves the day in OT after no-name goalie vexes Maple Leafs. Uh, and this was Lucas Dostal, who stopped 54 of 56 shots the other night. And the Anaheim Ducks taking issue and good on them coming off the top rope. Uh, their tweet, his name is Lucas Dostal. He had 55 saves last night. He was NHL Rookie of the Month in October. Be better, Toronto Sun. Well, that that is just a good general statement towards the Toronto yeah, Sun. That's true. <laughs> Advice to live by. Yeah. Yeah. Not exactly... Uh... Needed for just the that particular incident. Did you say you had another one too? Uh, I got one it? other. Just we we talked about the All Star uh, nods and and yep. the All Star weekend a little earlier on. This comes from the NHL Public Relations Department. Connor Bedard can become the youngest to play for an NHL All Star team. The caveat: he'll be the second youngest to play in the event. In 1947, Fleming McKell, Blake, you remember Fleming right. McKell? You've got his jersey and his hockey card. Fleming yeah. McKell skated for Toronto, the last Stanley Cup champs, against a team of NHL All-Stars. So the format was different then. Well, right. Fleming McKell, uh, he got to put on a show, but uh, Connor Bedard can become the youngest to play for an NHL All-Star team. So kind of a cool uh, little side note there for the Pride of North Vancouver. Yeah, and, and uh, an interesting caveat and, you know, you know, little note at the bottom of it all because uh, of uh, Fleming Mikkel. Uh From No Name, you were talking about Dostal. No Name to Same Name. Did you happen to see this the other day? At SINL, Thunder's similarly named players caused 12-minute delay for confused referees. <laughs> I, I, I'm not the NBA fan that I once was, I'll be honest. I did not know. There are two Jalen Williamses on the Oklahoma City Thunder. J-A-Y-L-I-N, J-A-L-E-N, who Jalen Williams is. And things get a little bit dicey when they happen to be on the court at the same time, and there's a foul. And the referees say run over, and, you know, they have to be clear with numbers, I guess, obviously, and they make announcements with Jalen Williams with the foul, yada, yada, yada. And they got confused. 
During the third quarter, the refs and stats statisticians at the game had J-A-L-E-N with two fouls. However, the NFL or the NBA scorebook listed him with three league officials called in. They had to rewatch the entirety of the second quarter to determine <laughs> which Williams had committed what foul to whom and at what point. Uh, the players just hung out at the bench while they watched the second quarter and figured out who had what fouls. And in the end, it was J-A-L-E-N with the three fouls. J-A-Y-L-I-N also had three fouls. Are we and moving towards Are we moving towards face recognition technology? In <laughs> But isn't that what the numbers are for? Like, well, don't exactly, you run over? But I, I just envisioning the refs have a little scanner, a pocket scanner that uh, maybe the players all wear some sort of wristband, barcode, barcode. the barcode. Yeah. Now, exactly. the, the cautionary tale here, of course, is that uh, not too long there could very well be two Elias Petersons playing right. here in Vancouver. But again, they do wear numbers, and yes. maybe you just pay a little closer attention to that. You would hope that'd be a guiding light, and that's hashtags for today. Sakaris and Price, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group and Applewood Infinity Langley, the 2023 QX80 with a $10,000 non-stack cash attached to it. Go take one for a test drive and save big time on the QX80. You want some heft for the uh, new year? Uh, there's your car at Applewood. It's all good at Applewood Infinity in Langley. Let's bring in our, well, I was going to say Wednesday regular, except it's Friday. We did a docile deal with Frankie Corrado, who's uh, back with Jeff and I here today. Welcome back. Happy New Year, sir. Yeah, Happy New Year. How was uh, everyone's festivities? Everyone have uh, a good yeah. time? We got <laughs> through it. Pretty quiet, but <laughs> but here we are. It, uh, uh, I don't know. Like, I might have had my most interesting New Year's ever this uh, year. So uh, Doing what? Well, so... I'm sure you guys saw the news that our, our Dave Poulin has accepted the position of senior VP of hockey operations with the Ottawa Senators. So I got the last minute call to go do color commentary for some of the Habs games that he's scheduled for. So not a bad deal. I get to go down to Tampa, um, but I had to get home. I had an obligation between games in, in Tampa and Dallas. So as part of that, there was, there was a day off in between games. I had to fly into Toronto spent the day in Toronto and then flew to Dallas that night. So we did the game on new year's Eve. I had a rental car and I basically spent the 12 o'clock minute exchanging the keys with the person at the rental car place. I pulled in at 1158, handed him the keys at 1159. We said, happy new year. I was on the phone with my wife. We said, happy new year. And I was on a flight early that morning. That's the, the definitely, the the most the rental car desk new year rager yes yeah we were at the national car rental drop-off during the new year's uh 12 12 o'clock was ryan seacrest there was like was it a big deal yeah you know what there was a lot of people asking for autographs um you know all that kind of stuff so it was very glamorous very glad i haven't tipped this hand yet uh on new year's i had dom perignon for the first time in my life okay and how do we feel about it i didn't like it i didn't like it yeah, like like all the all the rage about the uh, the twenty dollar bottle or you know like a thirty dollar. 
yeah. to me it tastes better i i didn't like the taste of it at all and i didn't i didn't think there was much to separate in terms of champagne tastes yeah I, it's, I don't like it's it. all the name it's all the name because you're in the you know you're in the club you got the booth and bottles and, and you got your dom but well, i wouldn't know anything about know. that but <laughs> i just i just think it's like it's just one of those things like anything else it's just a statusy thing to say you, yeah. you've got some dom I, I think there's you know like you said there's plenty of things that taste similar uh, the Canucks weren't celebrating last night. That's for sure. There was oh. unlikely to be any champagne there. And it's not like they're blown out of the water, Frank. Talk about what a game like that feels like. So you're, you're about to embark on a seven-game road trip. And it's just kind of a meh game. You're in it. They get one late goal off a, off a knee, and, and all of a sudden they at least get a point out of it. Um, but they couldn't do that. What, what, what do you think ultimately they take away from that game? It's like it started off promising because the third line gets a goal early in the game. Um, really, what it comes down to in a game like that, it's like it's the start of a long road trip. You want to get that road trip off to a good start. You want to start banking points because you know that you're going to have to play. I, I don't know what it is on this road trip. I know they go through the New York area. They finish in Columbus. But it's like every other day you're going to play a game. Vancouver does these road trips where you'll hit like seven, six or seven games in a two week span. So it's, it's tough. And, and you know that the games are, you're going to be tired for some games. You're not going to have your legs. You're going to be maybe a little bit fatigued. So it is important to get off to a good start and start banking points early in the road trip. That's one of the games that you expect to have maybe halfway through the trip. Maybe you expect to have that one on a back to back where you're just, your brain's not as sharp. Um, and that's just kind of what it looked like watching that game back. Um, I will say this, like that's, that's one of those ones where you need your game breaker to find a way to, to get you one. Like you need a Pedersen or a Hughes and Kuzmenko doesn't even play in the game. Like th those are the guys that can, that can get something when there is nothing available. And that was, that was an issue for them. Demko plays really well. Um, you know, as far as keeping the blues to, to two goals, like, you know, you, you give yourself a chance to win that way, but when, when you can't find the offense and, and listen, let, let's call a spade a spade. There's been a lot of nights this year for the Canucks where the, the offense has been pretty plentiful and there's been some goals that have gone in where you're like, okay, well that's not, you know, you can't count on that going in all the time. So it is a little bit of a balancing act. Um, but that, that's one of those ones where you say frustrating night and we'll just get right back at it because we, we have a lot of games to play in a short period of time on the road. Frankie, get your whiteboard out for us, uh, if you will, here. Because, as you just said, like, the Ottawa game, they got all the bounces, right? Like, and you can't count on that uh, when you play San Jose before Christmas 7. Like, when the going is good, the offense flows, like the champagne at Blake's place uh, on New Year's Eve. <laughs> but in three of their last eight games, they've been held to a single goal. In Minnesota, they had to grind. They got that game to overtime. Philly, after Christmas, they lose 4-1. to one. Last night, just one game. It does seem like there's still some learning to be done by this group about finding ways when the going is tough, when you got to fight through, uh, you know, every check and all that kind of stuff. Is it as simple as it's a mindset or are there things that the Vancouver Canucks have to do offensively to create offense in those games when the offense isn't flowing? I think both are true, actually. Like there, there's examples of teams and, and the Jets come to mind, Winnipeg where they're, they're not like an offensively gifted team, but it's almost like they've really embraced this. We're always going to be hard to play against. We're always going to be stingy. And I think Vancouver's embraced that as well this year. Like that's, that's something that's really improved in their game. But I think with Winnipeg, they kind of know like they're, they're not going to, they're not going to generate a ton of offense in, in, in any single kind of game. So they know what kind of game they, they need to play offensively. 
And that kind of leads into the second point that you mentioned there. Like there's going to be nights where you're not able to penetrate the middle of the ice or you're not going to be able to get to the front of the net and create that kind of chaos. And maybe, you know, you have the offensive zone possession, but it's a lot to the exterior. And when, when those nights are happening, it's like, who's going to go to an area that gets a puck bounce in off them in a weird way. Who's going to jam one home when it's kind of sitting there in the goalies pads, like those opportunities are there, but it's almost like a recognition within the group that it's like, you know, the, the one timer from the high slot, it worked once early in the game. We're probably not going to get that chance again. And if we do, it's like, if the goalie sees it, he's probably going to make that save. So there's, there's a mindset behind it. And I think it's just a recognition with the group that it's like, okay, we've probably played 45, 50, 55 minutes here. Like we, we, we know what kind of game this is going to be. We, we know that there's certain things offensively that aren't available to us. We need to try to trying to find a way to get a, a gritty one, a, a garbage goal. And of course it's easier said than done. Because if you could just do that on any given night, there would be no shutouts. There would be no teams that lose games two to one. So you, you do have to give the other team some credit because St. Louis has played a lot better uh, with, with their coaching change. Like they're, they're not only riding that, that new coach bump right now, like they've, they, they've played a lot better of late. So um, you have to give them credit as well. But yeah, I do believe it's like a mindset where you're just thinking, okay, there's, there's certain things that aren't available tonight. And as far as what you do on the ice, it's like, you know, putting those into practice, getting to those areas, creating a little bit of chaos, that's going to help you score one where maybe it's not an offensively inclined night. I know we'll get to Kuzmenko here in a sec, but a lot of the chatter coming out of the game last night was Elias Patterson, if he wants to be a $12 million guy, you know, he's got to elevate not only his own play, but the guys around him. But where do you stand on and how much is this testing that theory when he's being asked to play with uh, Sam Lafferty? With all the respect, Sam's been a nice pickup by the Canucks, but not a top six guy. And Ilya Mikheyev has one goal in his last 10. Like, Mikheyev should probably be the third guy on any line as opposed to the second guy after uh, the star center. So how much of it is on Pedersen to pick up the guys around him? And how much is it on the Canucks to find somebody better uh, for Elias Pedersen to play with? Well, listen, I, I agree. I think Pedersen can only do so much. And, and Mikheyev is that third guy on a line. He's that guy that's the puck count. He's the guy that's going to have to do a little bit of the greasy work. And, of course, he's going to chip in offensively. He has that element to his game. But Lafferty is also that kind of player to a lesser extent than Mikheyev and is better suited to be lower in the lineup. So, you know, you stick Elias Pettersson with, with those two guys and you expect him to carry the load offensively, it's too hard. Like me, yeah, you can do it for one night. But to expect it to happen where, like, what was Pettersson supposed to do last night? Was he supposed to have two goals and one assist or one goal and two assists and completely, like, propel that line to, to a big night offensively? I think you're, you're asking a lot. You're asking a lot in that situation. And really good players are also really good players because of who's around them. I think you take a look at a lot of the good lines around the NHL, whether it's been in years past. Go look at the, the Boston example when it was Marchand, Pasternak, and, and Bergeron. Like, Pasternak didn't have to play with, you know, two guys that are better suited lower in the lineup. Uh, Matthews and Marner, Matthews and Nylander, McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like, there's a reason why the really good players are really good players. Yes, it's because of their individual skill, but they have someone to play with. They have someone who can think the game the same way. They have someone who can execute a little better than, than other people. They have someone who can make a pass 
you know, through a couple skates or under a stick or over a stick that the regular guys can't really do. So, yes, you know, you, you can say that uh, a, a really good player on a team, your number one guy, he needs to elevate um, the, the, the players around him, but he also needs guys that can do it themselves a little bit. Like you can't piggyback two guys and, and expect him to have a, a big night offensively. And, and this is the guy in a contract negotiation right now that you're trying to say, Hey, this is the place for you. And he's probably thinking, what are you giving me to play with here? You know, like give me something. Well, how about the guy that scored 39 goals last year? Like, wouldn't it be nice if that guy could, could find it a little bit. And listen, like, I'm sure we got to get into Kuzmenko here because like, it's a guy who's making five over $5 million scored 39 last year. Yep. And he's, He's he's that guy that has a shot that can create something out of nothing for you. Like he's that guy who can find one at the at the side of the net when, you know, everyone's kind of been on the perimeter and it's a two way street. And we've we've it's been well documented this year. The the struggles that he's had kind of fitting into Rick Tockett's system, Rick Tockett's kind of mindset as far as how he wants to play with Kuzmenko not being able to to get to areas of the ice on time and all that kind of stuff. So I just wonder with Kuzmenko, you sent the message already. He's been healthy scratch this year. You've gotten that message across. Now it becomes a thing where it's like, once I've sent that message, you probably need to give him a little more runway now to apply it like it's probably not going to happen over a one game span or a two game span there is something to be said for okay we're on the same page now but you do need some time here to put it put it in practice and and, and, and implement it and see it transpire in the game it's not easy for players like to break out of a slump or or you know if their game is in a bad place it, it doesn't happen overnight so you probably do need to give a guy like a little more runway here after you've sent your message, after you've sent your point, which is which is well taken. And I'm sure the player understands it. He's a good player. He's shown that last year. But I'm not sure what taking him out of the lineup at this point is going to do for him. He probably needs to just play and work through it himself now. Coaches always say they dress the best lineup that gives them the best chance to win on any given night. And it just seems impossible to believe that Rick Tockett lived by that last night when he inserts Linus Carlson into the lineup, who's fresh off uh, the American Hockey League. And they've got Kuzmenko right there in a game that ends up as a 2-1 game where one shot makes the difference. Our poll question is, would Andre Kuzmenko have made a difference in the loss to the St. Louis Blues last night? Impossible to know for sure, but aren't the odds likely that it's yes? Yeah, maybe you like, you don't know when you have, when you have someone with that kind of potential and we talked about it before, like he's got a high ceiling as a player because of what he can do offensively because of what his shot is. So it's hard not to get wrapped up in, well, if that guy was playing, maybe he gets an opportunity to get a shot off and you tie the game and you bring it to overtime. And then when you're playing three on three, no matter how the game is gone, you can find a way to win that game. Um, so, you know, it, it's easy to get wrapped up in that, that train of thought. And there's nothing wrong with bringing someone up from the minors and wanting to give them an opportunity. That's what the NHL is all about. That's how a lot of players get their start in the league. Um, but when it comes at the expense of a guy who, you know, he, he should be playing for them, whether that's his doing that he's not playing or Tockett's doing that he's not playing, like, the, the contract, the output he had last year, the, the flashes that we've seen from him this year, he should be playing. 
it's up to him as the player now to clean up his own backyard, but he needs to be given the runway here to do it. And I can, I can reason with the, the, the argument that, well, he's had plenty of opportunity this year, but I think, you know, it's almost like the clock starts again. Once, you know, you've come to the point where we're healthy scratching you, this is where you're at. And I've sent my message across. It's like there's a new clock now for him to work it out from that point, not from the start of the season where it was, you know, hard for him to kind of get his his footing. Frank, want to float a theory, and I'll have you poke a hole in it at some point when you feel that it's it's the right time. So Carson Soucy is pretty much cleared to get back. He has been practicing with the Canucks now. He's on the road trip. Uh, at some point, we think here in the next couple of games, uh, he's going to return to the Vancouver Canucks lineup. On the surface, it feels like Noah Juleson is going to be the odd man out, the seventh guy, and he'll come out. But Ian Cole turns 35 next month. Tyler Myers turns 34 next month. The Canucks still have half a season to go. The idea of load management has been floated before, but hockey minds don't seem to ever want to embrace that the badge of honor of playing 82 games and all that kind of stuff would it be the craziest thing in the world for the Vancouver Canucks to implement some sort of load management to maybe less is more so that Ian Cole and Tyler Myers are fresher later in the season and you keep Noah Juleson who's actually played pretty damn well the last 20 games or so uh, into the mix and then he doesn't just sit in the sidelines and, and patiently wait for an opportunity to get back in there why wouldn't load management work in this situation for the Vancouver Canucks? I'll be honest with you. I actually don't mind the, the whole load management thing. Like, I think you, you invest a lot in your players and you want them ready and available come playoff time. So why not do certain things along the way that allow you to have those players readily available and feeling healthy? Because if you're feeling healthy, then you can play at the top of your game. It then becomes a conversation, well, does the player want that? Does the player just want to not break up his routine and just be on the ice every day and, 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 you know, just be mentally engaged and locked into that kind of mindset where you don't take yourself out of it? Sometimes you take yourself out of it. You, you let your foot off the gas and you find you have a little bit of a hard time getting back into it, getting reengaged. So there's something to be said for that. But if the Canucks get into a portion of the season where their playoff fate is pretty much sealed and we know what seed they're going to be and they know who they're going to play, which in the NHL has been a, a, a reality here for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of teams that have been like, you know, from, from basically halfway through January have known who they're going to play in the first round of the playoffs because nothing changes in the standings. They get into a situation like that. I don't see why you wouldn't propose it to some guys, but ultimately I wouldn't be forcing it on players because like the players are really in tune with what makes them good. Uh, what, what has them in the right kind of headspace in order to play good hockey. Uh, but if that's a conversation you want to broach with some guys, I'm all for it. Like, I just think you, you invest too much in some guys, uh, whether they're, you know, mid tier players or high end players, whatever the case may be, everyone is somewhat of an investment in the team. And if you think that's going to help guys be healthy and playing at the top of their game when it really matters come playoff time, it's just another tool at your disposal. Uh, speaking of defensemen, Quinn Hughes, the first Vancouver Canuck All-Star. Uh, we have found that out as of uh, last night as well. We had sort of forecasted that would be likely given 
his prominence in the uh, defenseman scoring race and his overall great play, the fact that he's the captain of the team, you know, as opposed to some of the other players that you could choose from the Vancouver Canucks, you would think they have more going, though, Frank. Um, do all of them want to go? Miller, Pedersen, Demko, Besser, get in the minds of all these guys, given what we just talked about, about load management. Do they all want to go? Or do they all want to save their energy for uh, the first, you know, meaningful games in March in a long, long time? See, I don't, I don't know if everyone wants to go to the all-star game. I really don't. Like, I think if you're, you know, you have travel booked to go to Cabo and your wife or girlfriend is really looking forward to it and you've had a great year and, and, you know, you're away a lot during the season and, you know, like you both have this thing you're really looking forward to. It's going to be a nice escape for the both of you. And then you turn to her and say, we can't go to Cabo. You know, those nice new bikinis you bought, you can't wear them yet. We got to go to Toronto because I'm an all-star and yeah, like, you know, everyone's, you know, it's a proud moment for sure. Uh, but there's, I, I think, you know, it can catch you off guard a little bit. Um, and I thought that was a pretty interesting video that Oliver Bjorkstrand had with Dave Haxtell in Seattle, where Haxtell tells him he's got to change his travel plans because he's going to Toronto for the All-Star game. He's like, oh, Oh, that's wasn't wasn't expecting that where you think the reaction like you think the reaction is gonna be oh that is amazing like thank you it's like well I guess I gotta cancel the Airbnb in San Diego and then I gotta tell my wife that hey you know that place you really wanted to go the last little while San Diego you know all those nice restaurants we had booked uh we can't go now <laughs> so I don't know I think it's listen it's a great honor, of course. Like, there's a lot of players that really look forward to that. It's a nice accomplishment. Like, I, I played with Leo Komarov when he was selected for the All-Star game. He was our team representative in Toronto. So think about that. Like, Leo was over the moon to, to go represent our team and, and get selected to the All-Star game. He actually brought us all hats back from the All-Star game. Like, he was... He was pumped. And uh, Frank Vertrano like gets the nod in Anaheim. Like, that's a good story, too. And that's a great story. Like, yeah. that, that's a great story of, of someone who, you know, maybe wasn't expecting it. But, you know, that's he can always say he's an all-star now. So I, I think that's really cool as well. Uh, Frank, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. And we'll see where the Canucks are. They'll, they'll have uh, three more games under their belt on this road trip when we next talk to you. Um, this, those could be pretty important three games when it comes to their fate here this season, whether or not they, they start to uh, use some of the leash and insurance that they built up here. Yeah, and some interesting games, right? You're going to play against New Jersey, who's had a hard time keeping the puck out of their net. Uh, the Rangers are a really good team. Like, Buffalo's underachieved a lot. Um, Columbus has had some really weird games this year. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the, the different kind of opponents they have on this, uh, on this road trip. Have a great start to 2024. We'll talk to you next week, sir. See you guys. Oh, to the people. To the people. Let's let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go, as always, brought to you by our friends at Finney Cat. Improve productivity and efficiency of equipment you can rely on. Go to Finney.com. Check out their extensive inventory on new use and rental equipment to find the right solution to meet your unique needs. Need a part? Never been easier with Spinning Cat's online service. 
invest in the future of your business, check out the latest finning.com. And uh, Jeff, given our poll question today, asking about the difference that Andre Kuzmenko might have made to the game last night, uh, let's quickly take a peek at the uh, Rinkwide post on the scratch of Kuzmenko in favor of Linus Carlson and see some of the reaction there uh, from Nestor bummed but what it is it is what it is hope they trade him soon before he loses value great player but clearly not a fit with his coach's plans talk turn this team around with few player changes he has earned the benefit of the doubt and that's going to be the the question for for fans in the wake of a decision like last night and we've talked about that already i mean it, it's you know do you just give the keys to the car to, to talk and say he can do no wrong now or do you are you know is he open to this sort of criticism well i think you have to i mean when you lose and then you only score one goal i think it does open the coach to some criticism uh, linus carlson certainly wasn't a threat to score a goal and you extend it uh, you know if that game had got to overtime uh, linus carlson wasn't getting shifts in overtime kuzmenko might take it further if it gets to a shootout uh, Linus Carlson's not going to be up early as a shootout difference maker. And so, uh, again, I get message sending, but I also wonder, like, it's been five healthy scratches, but really in three separate bundles. There were back-to-backs in late November. Then there were two games together just before Christmas. This is a third time. Like, it, it, why does it keep happening? Like, the message isn't getting through. There isn't the change that the coach, like, so are they just going to continue with this dog and, and pony show this dance like it's been five healthy scratches in the first half of the season is if he stays here through the trade deadline like is he going to be healthy scratch 10 times over the course of a regular season so uh, to me it feels like it's somewhat untenable and that push is going to have to come to shove here sooner rather than later because they've had so few distractions around this team this year like everything has gone their way for the most part uh, this one's only going to grow. And then on a night where Elias Patterson's playing with Mikheyev and Lafferty, like what's the trickle down? Is there, you know, some frustration on the part of BP40 because of the wingers that he has to play with because the coach keeps making this lineup decision? Uh, Ken writes in and says he's done nothing not to be benched. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case. He's got 19 points in 32 games, which is, you know, better than a half point per game and eight goals in 32 games is still nothing to, to, uh, to laugh at, uh, Jeff. I mean, and a lot of those are in games where he's playing 11 minutes. Um, you know, he's goals per 60 is not a terrible rate, although it's all being compared to 39 goals, of course, last season. Yeah. And look, I mean, he scored a couple of goals. Uh, most of his scoring has been done at home here of late. But he came off the benchings in Nashville and Dallas in the San Jose game. He opens the scoring. We all kind of thought, like, there you go. Like, you know, the message has been sent. He responds. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of uptick in his scoring. He had a dismal month in November. The, the crazy thing for me, like, is when he has played. And again, this guy's been part of power play one for the most part when he's been in the lineup. He doesn't have an assist since November 15th. Yeah. Like, he, when he came to the Canucks, he was advertised as a playmaker. Like, from the work that he had done in the KHL, that people were going to be blown away by his playmaking skills, he is a highly skilled player, and yet, for whatever reason, like, yeah, the goals are down, but the fact that he hasn't set up a teammate for a goal since mid-November, like, that blows my mind. Uh, Brent, he was a nice story, good addition for a bad hockey team last year. This year, the team is better, and he's not kept up. Wonder if he what he would get if he was playing uh, with Gino in Pittsburgh. Uh, Norvan, man, rarely disagree with him, him being talking more than the benching, the new line combos are not working. And then finally, 
Uh, we've got Bobby saying it's stupid. They're not losing games because of Kuzmenko. Even when Kuzi plays, he's not put in a position to succeed. Just put him on the top line. Let him figure it out. He's too good a player to waste. You don't score 39 goals by fluke. And that's the thing. You can score a bunch of goals by fluke. You don't score 39 of them by fluke. Um, you know, he's he's a highly skilled player, uh, the likes of which they don't have in the lineup. And we've covered this uh, a lot here today that Sam Lafferty and, and yes, even Ilya Mikheyev, they are not highly skilled players. They're, they're nice players. They're great pieces to have on your puzzle. But they're not exactly top-of-the-heap kind of players capable of coming anywhere near 39 goals, even with good luck, Jeff. And also, and we talked a little bit about this on Rinkwide, but you know, when I talk about would Linus Carlson have been in an overtime or a shootout, you take Kuzmenko out of the lineup, normally they go to the two defensemen set on the first power play unit. Last night they elected to put Connor Garland on power play one. Now Garland's been a nice story. He scored the only goal. He works hard. But this power play, as we have documented for a while now, it hasn't been humming along. Like he got off to this great start, but really since uh, the start of December, it had kind of gone cold. Now you're experimenting in season, in game. You're putting Connor Garland out there in a position that he hasn't been a part of with guys that aren't used to him. And we know that you know he can be a difficult guy to read off of and, and react. And then the other thing was, did you see late in the game with the goaltender pulled? Uh, they essentially get their, their big guns out there. But when they get the second wave of players over the boards as the extra attacker, Nikita Zadorov was your net front presence, which I get the size and take the goalie. But we're talking about Garland on power play one. We're talking about Zadorov as a net front presence with the extra attacker. Again, it's forcing the coach to, you know, just throw up hopers and, and Hail Marys essentially when you had a guy that scored 39 goals that generally would be out there in those situations if he's in your lineup. Garland out there late as well to try to get the equalizer. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see where this leads, but um, certainly a woulda, coulda, shoulda night uh, for Andre Kuzmenko and for Rick Tockett. Uh, to the Great Clips text message inbox, a lot of football takes in here, including this one from Jason in Cloverdale. Russell Wilson will be telling Indianapolis Colts country, let's ride <laughs> next year. Uh, certainly doesn't feel like he's going to be in Denver. Um culture possibility i suppose but there's going to be i mean there's not a lot of qbs that are good in the nfl right now and and he is an average qb like and, and i say that as a compliment uh jeff like being an average qb in the nfl is is a pretty good place to be right now and a lot of teams don't have average qbs no i mean we've seen this so often and you know again you go back to when nathan rourke was looking for opportunities south of the line and you know they recycled the same guys through and through now i'm not comparing nathan rourke to to russell wilson but it just it, you're right there are so many sort of meh average quarterbacks in the national football league russell wilson with his pedigree you know working his way to the end of his career perhaps but i still think that there is some life and and clearly he'll be spurned and, and motivated i would think by the way that this is all played out in denver so yeah, fascinated too. I mean, that'll be one of the stories, obviously, to watch in the offseason is uh, how does that play out? Where does Russell Wilson wind up? And what's left in his tank to try to lead uh, another National Football League team? I'll give it a hot, by the way. All right. I like Adam, the former bath guy, Joe Flacco will have a longer career than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I, I honestly, I I don't think Aaron Rodgers plays another. Here's my hot take. Aaron Rodgers doesn't play another down in the NFL. Slides right into uh, the co-pilot's chair there on the McAfee show. Is that uh, oh the next stop for him? Oh um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, we're people were lauding him as this miracle healer coming off the Achilles, and he was going to be back in week 10 or whatever it was. Obviously, that didn't happen. That is a serious injury for anybody, but particularly an athlete uh, at that stage of Aaron Rodgers' career. So, uh, you know, I, I, I get where you're coming from, Blake. Like, it's quite possible that we have seen the last of Aaron Rodgers as a National Football League quarterback. And, and it's one thing to jog around the practice field, do some light totally. tossing, sprinting away from 250 pound uh, players that are trying to tackle you. It's a different level of intensity. Let's see how the Achilles repaired Achilles feels after that. Uh, basketball field. Tell me I'm wrong. All these backup QBs playing this week. Can't wait until the NFL gets to that 18 game regular season. It so desperately wants. Uh, it's going to be unwatchable. Uh, and we, doesn't it feel like that more than ever this year, Jeff, that, because of the maybe it's because of the length and schedule, but for whatever reason, um, there just seems to be a lot of teams riding out the string and they, they don't want to play their starters right now, in particular the quarterback. Right. So, I mean, essentially they have shuffled. Remember that used to always be the knock in the preseason. Preseason's too long. The, none of the starters play in the preseason. It kind of feels like they've taken the last preseason game and just attached it to the end. Now, I get the motivation of some of these teams that have locked up everything. Like, why would you put your best players in harm's way? You wouldn't, but you're also putting an entertainment product out there on the field, the television product as well. They need eyeballs to watch. Like, what are the compelling stories in a lot of these games? Uh, there aren't any. So I guess you seek out the games that, you know, have the true playoff implications and, and hope that uh, we still get some decent football. But yeah, uh, that seems to be the storyline here in the final week of the regular season is who isn't playing as opposed to who is and, and what they're playing for. Uh, Frank Saravalli reaction um, after he talked about Jake Gensel again. Uh, Chris writes in, Gensel's almost 30. He also put up points with Crosby. A pylon could do that. He's a good player, but why spend cap money on another 30-year-old? Who's going back? Kuzmenko, a younger player? Um, Gensel's going to be a risk because the asking price is going to be a lot more than Kuzmenko. It's going to be Kuzmenko and a first. And whether or not that's the first round pick this coming year, if that's going to be enough, or do you need to attach one of the high-performing prospects for the Vancouver Canucks that is also a first-round pick, like a, a Wheelander or a uh, Lekromaki? Um, I, that would be too steep a price for me. The late first-round pick coming up and Kuzmenko, I would probably do that. Um, Gensel isn't, uh, you know, a, a superstar, Jeff, but he might be just what the doctor ordered for, for Elias Pettersson this year. Right. But you have to keep in mind that the Canucks are ahead of schedule, given the prognostications at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, I think it's changed a lot of people's views about this team, but the window stays open. I mean, they, yes, Elias Pettersson needs a new contract, but you've got Quinn Hughes on one of the great contracts in the National Hockey League these days for a few more years, Thatcher Demko as well. So, you know, are, are you really wanting to part with, you know, sizable assets for a true rental? Because the flip side of that coin is, you know, are you looking to re-up Jake Gensel? He's a UFA at 30. He's going to be looking for term and money. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that that fits with what the Canucks are trying to put together here. So, uh, again, I think a lot of people are onto the Jake Gensel train right now, but you have to ask yourself about the acquiring cost, but also the bigger picture of like Le on an entry-level deal in a couple of years time is golden. Like if this guy can step in and Tom Willander to a lesser degree, but still important as a right shot defenseman, like as Patterson gets his deal, Hironic gets his, if they decide to keep and sign Zadorov, like the importance of having a couple of young players, not just 
in your lineup, but they like, can contribute on ELCs. Like that's the absolute value. And so that's the opportunity cost here. If you're talking about peddling uh, a guy like Jonathan Karamaki, who could be here and help you as opposed to dealing them away to get somebody that's coming in as a rental for one year, one shot at what uh, running into Vegas in the first round or, you know, the Edmonton Oilers in the first round, like there's no guarantees. It's about making the playoffs for the Canucks and baby steps here. But again, they're going to see a good team in the first round and there's no guarantee that they're getting out of round one. The you know you, you say the window's open theoretically it would be um, but with all these UFAs you don't know who's coming back you don't know their replacement quality you know like even a guy like Teddy Bluger who's been such a nice player for the for the Canucks if Teddy Bluger says I'm getting I'm getting three by you know three million a season for two or three seasons from play, uh, Team X are you going to match that you know like you can get nickel and dime to death here by yep. all these role players that are, have overachieved this year so then you walk away from Teddy Bluger cuz he's got a better offer elsewhere who's Teddy Bluger's replacement and and you can go up and down the line with those kinds of uh, you know um same scenarios with like Ian Cole and you know Juleson and Sam Lafferty all nice stories but if they all want 500 to a million dollars more than they got last year boy, again, your cap situation just gets to be abysmal. So it's going to be a very interesting test over the next, uh, you know, eight months here to see what the Vancouver Canucks are able to to ultimately uh, bring back. And on that note, uh, our show video garnered a lot of response yesterday about trading prospects or picks to upgrade. Um, Kuzmenko Banana says you can't trade Lacrimaki. This team needs top six wingers when he gets here. He'll be on an ELC, so he'll fill a need and be cheap. Miriam says, I think they should go all out and trade their first-round pick as well. They have a good prospect pool, and they need to win now. So that seems to be the, uh, you know, the what we just talked about seems to be the common scenario here where people say, maybe the first-rounder this year, but stay away from the prospect. And although I think Hunter Bristevich might be the one caveat there, Jeff, and that I think everybody is a little bit skeptical as to whether or not this is just an OHL mirage and whether that's really transferable. So maybe that guy too. We'll see. That is to the people we go for another day. Thanks for your contributions, folks. We'll do it again on Monday. So Garrison Price from the Wall Center, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. And Jeff, let's get into our errors and omissions from yesterday. Uh, Grady, do you have anything um, for us? I, I don't I don't think that there was an error or an omission to speak of, and that would mark a... No. Embarrassingly, We're on a run. We're on yeah, a run to start the new year. I, I don't see any people quibbling with us. Um I mean, we're just tapping in the five footers here. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. So it's a common denominator um, here. Yeah. No, that's yeah, not I, a that's not a feeling I'm used to. Trust me, the yeah, five footer. True. No. no. Uh, people in my family would beg to differ with my lack of errors <laughs> and omissions. But um, uh, all right, let's uh, remind you though, if you do catch anything throughout the course of the show, you send it to the Great Clips inbox seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eight. Uh, 9680 great clips is the official hair salon of the nhl a great clips jeff it's gonna be great it is it's just it's a bit of complete uh let's get to our betway bets of the day for today as well jeff get us started 
Yeah, the Seahawks trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. They're in Arizona to finish the regular season. They need a win and some help. So they've got to take care of their own business first and then let the chips fall where they may. Uh, should be a motivated bunch. Arizona with nothing to play for, but that was the same case last week and they beat Philadelphia. So who knows? Still like the Hawks to get the job done in this game. Not sure about the playoffs, but uh, I do like the Hawks. Uh, they're favorites on the road here. You can get them at plus 166 on the money line. Yeah, it is uh, kind of a, a wacky season in the National Football League, and um, you, you have to check to see who's playing and who's suiting up and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Uh, Pittsburgh's still technically alive at 9-7. and seven. Um, They've got some work to be done, though. They need some help. And they're taking on a Baltimore team that doesn't have anything to play for. It's 13-3 running away with the AFC. So you have to think. With all that said, Mason Rudolph can muster more than 192 yards of passing. 191 and a half is the over-under. Take the over on the yards of passing for Mason Rudolph at 190. And those are your Betway bets of the day. Please play responsibly. It must be 19 years of age or older. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for filling in all these, uh, days here this yeah, week. It's always fun and good way to get the new year started. And I know Matt will be back on Monday and I'm sure he'll have plenty to, he's always got plenty to say, but, uh, when he's taking a week off, uh, he'll have even more to say. So, uh, looking forward to getting him back in the chair. And we'll have uh, a devil's game to have talked about already with the uh, Saturday matchup with the Canucks and setting everybody up for back to back against the New York area teams. Uh, Rangers and Islanders on Monday and Tuesday. So it should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will speak to you on Monday. Jeff's got you for Rinkwide Vancouver on Saturday. And don't forget to support the fabulous partners we've got that are also supporting local here in BC. Have yourself a great weekend.